Welcome to the SLGND Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. There is no Some Guy Named Dave today. I think he's playing golf in Ireland. And <laughs> what a life. What a life, exactly. Yeah, and there is no Dan Duvet. So it's myself, Gary Lawless, and the Sheriff, Shane Knighty. That's uh, all you have today. And I thought it would be great to take advantage of the intimacy of the studio today and just uh, just make it all about Shane. Shane is a, uh, a longtime National Hockey League player, a Stanley Cup champion, and now the color commentary voice of the Vegas Golden Knights on uh, the AT&T broadcast. And I've known Shane for, uh, well, he was 21 when I met him. He was playing in the International Hockey League. With the Grand Rapids Griffins. He was playing with a buddy of mine, Kerry Huffman, and I went to visit Kerry, and he said to me one day, he said, uh, we've got a couple of kids on the team that are real fun. They live in a place, we call it the Bunker. Let's go have a beer with them. And uh, Shane Knighty <laughs> was uh, one of those guys. You and Tommy Ash, right? Me and Tommy Ash, yes. Uh, legendary one, uh, an overtime goal for the Beanpot playing uh, for BC. A long time ago, that was it. That was his claim to fame. So, and you uh, and I prefer BC over BU, right? Well, just because our uh, <laughs> some guy named Dave is a big BU uh, advocate. Yes. So, uh, but that said, yeah, it was a good time. The bunker was kind of an apartment that was like some weird, like the bottom corner, and to come out of it, you had to kind of go up a hill. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it was kind of the party place for the team. Did that you ever year. fall on that hill? I don't think so, but I think we kind of we. It was small enough. It was small, but I remember we took uh, some cardboard out and rode rode it down there when snow came, and uh, we had we had a lot of fun that year. We found a couple chair. We needed more seating, so we found some chairs out by the trash bin. They they were in pretty good shape. We rolled them into our uh, apartment. Yeah, it was all good. Davy Allison from Fort Florence, yes. Ontario, uh, was the coach of that team. And now, were you, did you when you were in Ottawa? Did you have Davey as your coach no. in Ottawa? So because I think he went from Grand Rapids eventually to Ottawa, and uh, or maybe he maybe it was. Yeah, Naya. I can't remember which way it was. No, yeah. Jacques Martin was already in control when okay. I went to Ottawa. Yeah, Davey didn't have a good run in the National Hockey. No, League, and but he, he yeah he he got uh, let go actually from Grand Rapids late that year. He did. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Old school coach. Old school. Yes. I Old. like Davey. I've, I've got to know him quite well. Back in the, the day years. when I actually had a coach almost, well, not almost, he did challenge me to a fight in practice. Davey uh, did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, had a lot of, I had a lot of majors, fighting majors that year as a young guy, you know, no fear. Yeah. And I remember one practice, I think he was calling Chirping, he said, that's enough. He said, all I know is we got guys doing this and that. Night, he's covering Casper out there last game. I'm like, who the hell? Ca-? The ghost. He's like, basically saying I'm covering no one. And I, I say, you know, young. I said a smart remark back to him. And then he came at me and I went back and forth. And <laughs> next thing you know, he was challenging me. But uh, ran into Davey a couple of years ago. Uh, still a funny man. We had a good talk. Curtis uh, Hunt was the assistant coach there, Curtis Hunt was the yeah. assistant coach, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, this is the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named named Dave podcast, and it is brought to you by the D Hotel. Uh, the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, um, we often do our podcast from the D Hotel. It's fun to do that, and uh, we've uh, we like the Long Bar, and we like Andiamo, and of course uh, our great friend Derek Stevens, who uh, owns the D and. Uh, a massive uh, uh, friend and sponsor of the Vegas Golden Knights really got involved early on and uh, continues to uh, to try and promote uh, minor hockey here in 
uh, in Las Vegas, Southern Nevada. So uh, Derek's been a good friend of ours, and uh, we appreciate his support. Absolutely. He, he's done a, just a tremendous job right from day one, one buying in and uh, supporting, getting behind the Golden Knights. And, you know, he's been a longtime fixture here for sports in Las Vegas and uh, just a great guy. Boy, you mentioned the long bar. I had a real good time there one night with Derek. <laughs> now, well, I often tease you. Shane is born in Nipawa, Manitoba, and there's a, a famous Canadian author, Margaret Lawrence, <laughs> who's also from Nipawa. I often I, I tease Shane that he's the second uh, most famous uh, person from Nipawa, and uh, uh, I'm not sure. They're both uh, they're both oh. well known. But you grew up in Nipawa, and uh, and then made your way to the Western Hockey League. Uh, played there for four years, I believe. Five. Five years. Five years. Under and over age. There you go. That's a career. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's longer than one wants to play in the Western Hockey League, but uh, it's a lot of long bus rides. And, uh, you know, I ended up going back for my overage, my 20-year-old year, uh, after I was drafted by Buffalo. It was interesting. In Rochester that year, the, the head coach was John Tortorella. So I got sent down, and John loved me uh, because it was interesting. So this would have been back in— So you got drafted by Buffalo. Got drafted by Buffalo in 94. We, I didn't go to the first camp in 94 because there was a strike. Okay, yeah. So then the next year I went uh, to camp. They sent a group of us down to Rochester uh, to play there, and we had a bunch—it was great guys. Marty Baron was around, uh, a guy named Ruman Nadir. Uh, I think Jay, Jay McKee there. Uh, Sean Gannon, uh, it, was, it was a real good group of guys. I remember we had one exhibition game, and it was a great story. And I remember got in the hockey news. At that time, for me, it was pretty cool. So, you know, it was a different game back then. And uh, we were playing, it was an off-site kind of, you know, preseason game. And back then, Gary, as you know, preseason was yes, fight-filled. Yeah. So I remember, I, I think we were playing Syracuse, and it, I believe we were just over the Ontario border in your area playing a game, and I should pull up the... I have to find that hockey news clip. But anyways, a guy named John Baduk was on the other team. John Baduk, a legendary a uh, pugilist. Guy. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, anyways, I got a fight with some guy, and I did really well. I was in the penalty box, and Sean Gagnon, a tough guy on our team, fought Baduk. And they were still going at it, and they're trying to escort to the penalty box, and Baduk's mad, and Gagnon, and they're chirping. Next thing you know, John Baduk climbed over from his side of the penalty box <laughs> through the timekeepers and over the top of our glass. Well, the refs come to ours, and who do they drag? They take Sean Gagnon out. I'm left. <laughs> I'm left, and Baduk comes over the top glass. <laughs> And I'm like, what? What's going on here? And the next thing you know, it's rolling around and their skates are flying. Thank goodness nobody got hurt. But uh, that was probably one of the most unique experiences uh, of my hockey career. And it happened early. And anyways, yeah, John Torrell wanted to keep me. But they sent me down to the East Coast Hockey League uh, with South Carolina. And Rick Vive was the head coach. I was down there. And uh, Charleston, have you ever been? Yeah. What a town. Oh, boy. Uh, Anyways, after about a week there. Uh, you know, Rochester said they bring me, but I, I just, uh, my hockey career, uh, uh, let's say the extracurricular activities were taking over from hockey once I was in Charleston. And no I said, let's, let's go back to junior. We had a good team. I was going to be captain. And, uh, that's why I went back, uh, for my fifth year. Now our Kelly McCrimmon, uh, assistant GM of the, of the Vegas Golden Knights is also the owner of the Brandon Wheat Kings just down the road from Nipua. And, uh, <clears throat> I called him yesterday just to do a little prep. On this, oh boy. Uh, Kelly my was, mom's still mad at him. Kelly was coach and GM <laughs> of of the Weekings. Well, she's mad because he didn't draft. Because he didn't draft yeah, me, yeah. and I never played in Brandon. <laughs> I always played in Saskatchewan. Would have been a lot easier for your mom to go and uh, see all those games in Brandon for sure. Hmm. Uh, anyways, I said to Kelly, I said, "Tell me about Shane Knighty, 
the junior hockey player, and he said, uh, well, uh, he said, honest was the best way to describe Shane. He said, uh, a very good player, a two-way player, uh, but honest, and uh, guy you wanted on your team, and uh, he was very complimentary, and I think probably he regrets not having you, because he had some good teams he over did, those yeah. years. Well, we lost to Brandon my last two years yeah. in, in, the, in the Eastern Finals. But they didn't win the Memorial Cup, and I kind of think that uh, he kind of thinks that uh, maybe a little more Shane Nighty in his lineup might have got him over the top. Well, we'll see. I don't know. You know, we had great battles against Brandon, and I remember those two years, and yeah, it was uh, some good hockey, and I remember the the first, uh, my second last year, they covered it on TSN, which in Canada is kind of like the ESPN, and it was the first time they ever covered junior hockey, mm-hmm. and they ended up covering one, and I think they ended up covering the last three games that went to seven games against Brandon, uh, and that year Kamloops was hosting, and Kamloops had great teams. Loaded. Yeah, and they ended up winning, but they were hosting Moral Cups. Whoever won our Eastern Final was automatically in the Mem Cup, yeah. and uh, we lost in seven games to Brandon, unfortunately, hmm. but good for them. So I've, I often, it worked out for you, but it's not an easy life. You played five years in the Western Hockey League, so you're trying to finish high school, uh, doing your homework on the bus, and uh, for, for people, how many, how many games did you play in the Western Hockey League back then? Regular, regular I played season. a lot, so I think I'm on a list. I don't know whether it's top No, no, 30. how many games did they play a season? Was oh, it 72? 72. 72. 72 so it's games. 10 games less than the National Hockey League. Yeah. You're in high school. There are no planes. No. You, and you bus. are busing. Uh, the bus ride from Brandon to Victoria is 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, that's, you know, now the league's down in Seattle, uh, Tri-Cities, you know, Portland. It, it, it's and then as far east as Brandon, which is in Manitoba. So it's a huge geographical area. Play 72 games, and it's, uh, let's let's just call, call it what it is. It's the toughest league um, underneath, the Nas- underneath the American League and the National Hockey League. The, the, you, it, it's, you, there are 19-year-olds in that league. There are 15-year-olds in that league. And it's survival of the fittest. If you, oh. it's, it's, it's. NHL, grind. it's mini NHL because of the grind. That was part of the reason I, you know, because a lot of people said college. I think college is a great route now. I think the college programs have really elevated since, you know, 91 when I had to make the decision and I went and played junior hockey. But it is, it's a grind. You learn at a young age that, you know, you've got you've to have that mental capacity to get over fatigue and tiredness and keep schoolwork up. And, you know, that was the one thing I needed to graduate on time, and I did. I was able to do that. But you're talking about bus trips. So I played a year and a half in Swift Current, then Prince Albert, which are both cities, towns in Saskatchewan. And, you know, maybe your closest bus ride when I was in Prince Albert was, you know, we played Saskatoon, which was an hour and a half. But outside that, everything was four hours plus. Uh, six hours was a normal trip, and then we did the one out to Western Canada, down to the states, Seattle, Victoria. I remember Victoria, when you drove out there, you'd get out there, and then you'd have to wait for the ferry. Take the <laughs> ferry across in the morning, then you'd go, and yeah, and you know, but it, it, it really molded, uh, for me, you know, a work ethic, a dedication, uh, a sacrifice to the game that you need to be successful. And, you know, you ride the trips. It was great. You play card games. It wouldn't be for the, the faint of heart. You know, you got your suit rolled up. You wear track suits. You clothes everywhere. You know, you throw guys 16 to 20 years old on a bus for two and a half weeks. You can imagine 
how it accumulates in there, guys. <laughs> and but you know, it, it, it's some of the best memories I had. And you know, that's it's similar, and it really prepares you for the American Hockey League or, or for minor pro because that's exactly what it's going to be like, just at a grander scale with men. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Uh, I've known you for a long time, and I've. Uh, I, I know the way you are, and if Shane isn't making fun of you, he doesn't like you. <laughs> and uh, and I happen to—I I know Shane likes me because I'm his biggest victim. He works me over uh, more than anyone else, but every once in a while, there'll be someone in, in our group that— that hasn't had that experience and doesn't understand that the the kibitzing and the yeah. and the banter is is meant to to bring you together, not to divide you. And uh, it's it's always interesting to to to, to see that sort of uh, to see that playing out in in real life because junior hockey is well, it's real life, but it's not, not the same as the workforce that comes later on. Then you played four years in the in in. The International League, the East Coast League, and the American League. Uh, the Sunshine League came later on, I believe. Yeah, I play, yeah. Uh, uh, but you played four years before getting your first chance to the NHL. So that's nine years of hockey uh, at at different levels before you got your chance to play in the National League. And I'm I'm, I'm always curious uh, for that story of why a guy hung on. Why didn't you decide at that point in time, at some point in time, you know what, I'm, I'm not making a lot of money. This yeah. is a hard life. I need to get serious. I need to go back to, to Nipua and, and open an insurance brokerage or whatever it would be. Why did, why did you stick to hockey? That's a great question. And, you know, looking back, I think, you know, you've always got obstacles. Adversity is something you need to overcome if you want to be successful. And I believe that now for teams. And when I, you know, I've, I've spoke to groups, to businesses. And when I do that, I, I talk about, you know, the path. Everybody believes the road to the NHL, you get drafted. Then you make the NHL, you play in the farm system. Well, for me, I got drafted by Buffalo. They never signed me. I became a free agent. I played my 20-year-old year, as we mentioned. Uh, and then from there, I was a free agent. I went to Chicago Blackhawks camp. Uh, didn't do very well. I remember going back uh, to Manitoba to Winnipeg, and I was getting receiving calls for Canadian universities to go play hockey there and get an education. And it was a guy by the name of Pierre Maguire that called me up. No kidding, eh? Uh, he was coaching a brand new team, and you know, people with Golden Knights could relate. It was uh, it was hockey that was new to uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Baton Rouge Kingfish uh, was a new uh, team in the ECHL. Uh, and Pierre Maguire is a coach. He called me up. He said, I'd like you to come down. I said, well, I don't know him. He says, you know what? Come down. I, I think you got something, and let's see what we can do. And uh, the assistant player coach was a guy named Cam Brown, a guy who played for the Brandon Wheat Kings, yep. and uh, I'd worked hockey camps with him that previous summer, so he was a friend. And they, between the two of them, they convinced me. I went down there, and it, it was fantastic. To bring hockey to a new market was uh, a market that became passionate about it. It, didn't, it was short-lived, but it was, I was there at the high times, they treated us fantastic. And Pierre and I went and I regained confidence. Confidence is everything in, in whatever you do, sport, business. And Pierre was the first one that ever told me, you can make some money in this game. He says, you won't be here long. And, and that built me up. So, uh, you know, he gave me the confidence I needed. And, and you mentioned four years in the minors, and it wasn't draft and, and go play for that organization. No, for me, is draft, not go to Chicago's camp, go to Baton Rouge. From Baton Rouge, I was there two months. I got uh, called up and I went and played in the American Hockey League for the St. John Flames. They were affiliated with Calgary, but I was under just an American League contract. Played there. The end of the year didn't go well for me. I had a coach named Paul Baxter, who was probably the biggest ass I played for. Uh, I'll say that <laughs> sure. easily. Things he did. But that 
grew my mental game to a, a level. You know, you wouldn't have a coach like that nowadays. He just wouldn't last. Uh, but it made it Davey Allison the next year when I went to the International Hockey League, the IHL, and played for Grand Rapids. That much easier. I could understand and deal with it. Uh, that year, I remember I went into Davey's office. He said, you're going to play with Travis Richards. Uh, his brother Todd's a coach in the, uh, in the NHL, and I played for Todd in Minnesota. But uh, Travis was the top D-man. He said, uh, just go out there, play with him. You're going to play lots, but make sure nobody touches him. Keep the flies yeah, off him. Yeah, keep the flies. I'm like, oh, all right. So I had a great year uh, in all around. A lot of I'd gotten a lot of fighting. I had over 22 majors that year, wow. and, you know, fighting – Guys way way out of my class, guys like Phil Crow and Sean Penn and uh anyway. You fight Mel that year? Mel Engelstad, yeah. That one that one didn't go as well as you'd like, but uh you know what? That's uh that's growing. And and it was a good year for me and then Detroit Red Wings when they were in their heyday winning cups around the, you know, was that ninety seven? They they signed me uh to a two year contract. Uh so I played. So I went from there. I never played for Detroit. They only called up the Scotty Bowman was a coach. They had you know, so many Hall of Famers yeah. on that team. They didn't call guys up. They, they needed they a guy called, that went and signed a guy. In two years, they called up three guys. Yeah, well, three guys. They needed somebody. They'd go. They and, did. They'd go sign That's, some. That, sign that was the way of it back. Uh, you know, in the, the mid to late nineties, yeah. and uh, so I played in uh, Glens Falls, New York, for the Adirondack Red Wings. Then the uh, next year, we split with Anaheim. I was uh, in American Hockey League, the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. Uh, and then my rights got traded to Ottawa, and uh, from there it was a new life. And for me, I was twenty-four. And who was the coach in Cincinnati? Uh, oh, he was a great guy. What was his name? Was Mo like, Mantha. Oh, Mo Mantha. Oh, Mo no Mantha. Mo Mantha. Yeah, That's yeah, a, great I've heard great uh, stories yeah. about Mo. So, and this is this is how times changed. Uh, it's Mo Mantha. I think we lost our first three games. And back then, so it was different games. You didn't have fancy gyms. You didn't have anything. That time, <laughs> shakes were starting to come in, guys. There's this thing called Ultimate Orange, which is banned now. It's like basically jack you up. Guys' eyeballs would be squirrely. They'd take it before the games. That and the but, but after games, I remember we had like two rickety old bikes or whatever. And guys would, after the game, we were start, starting to do that. Guys were getting on the bikes after the game. And some guys were mixing up shakes. You're getting, you know, your protein powder and this and that. And Momanthic came in mad i'll never forget came in he saw a couple guys in the bikes couple guys making shakes everybody in the room <laughs> like okay we've lost three in a row or whatever it was to start it's near the beginning of the year is a small losing streak and he says what is going on says if you guys got enough goddamn energy to get on a bike after the game you didn't do your job and what the hell are you making <laughs> shakes Geez, if you want to make something after a game, get a beer in the fridge. Something you should deserve that you work for. Not this crap. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a very different game. I'll never forget that. You won't hear that nowadays. I'll tell you, I, when I first started covering, uh, I, I started in Thunder Bay, and then I went, to, I went to Winnipeg, and I was covering the International Hockey League, <clears throat> and you'd go into the... Uh, You'd go into the visitor's dressing room. The home side, they had a wives' lounge, and there was a bar in the wives' lounge. So guys would shower, get dressed, and then they'd go into the wives' lounge, and they'd have a beer there. But on the visitor's side, you'd go over to, and back then, you had time. It was a reporter. You would go to both dressing rooms. You'd go get a quote from the winning side, then you'd go to the losing side, give them a little bit more time. But there'd be a case of beer on a table in the middle of the room and guys would go and just walk up and grab a beer and have a beer in their stall. I I can't remember how many guys I interviewed sitting there, standing there, having a glass beer bottle in their hand. And now, you you know. How about a guy having a smoke between periods out in the hallway? Sure, yeah. Or after uh, the game by the bus. After the game, yeah. (laughs) Very, very, very very different. 
So uh, you hung around, and then uh, you got your opportunity, and uh, you broke in with uh, with the Ottawa Senators. Yes. And uh, I know you had a lot of fun playing in Ottawa, and that is where. So I have to ask you. Uh, we're going to get to some questions that we had sent in by uh, yes, thanks by everyone, pe- but people on Twitter a little later on. But that's where you got the nickname, the Sheriff. Tell us about that. Well, it's interesting. So I'll I'll go back. Yeah, before I give the nickname for the Sheriff. Uh, so I go to camp. I mentioned that my rights were there. I was twenty four and. I remember talking to my agent, and I got when I got traded, I got trade calls on a fishing trip with my dad in rural Manitoba and my brother, and they couldn't get a hold of us. They had to call a camp who came out and said emergency to call home, and I was panicked. I had young kids, my brother too, so we're all panicked. But then I called, and I remember talking to Marshall Johnson. They are like, you got traded. you got to call the GM for Ottawa. I called Marshall Johnson, said, think you can have a real chance. We need a guy like you. I remember going back to the tent with my dad and brother, and we... Brought out the rum and the cards, and we <laughs> solved some problems about what I needed to do and said, got to go to camp, and you, you've got to be a physical force. And sometimes you got to do something to get noticed. And, and so Alexi Yashin was the star of the Ottawa Senators, and this would have been 2000. He was a good he, player. He was, but he sat out the previous season, yeah. which now is you know not happen. thought of. And if a guy does it, it's, well, it's business side of hockey players would say. Yeah. Back then, players said, what the hell is he doing? Yes. This guy is an embarrassment. And he's letting you down as a team. He's letting us down yeah. as a team. Every other team thought that. So he came in. He, he They worked everything out, so he was back after this year of absence. So training cap, I remember my agent saying at the time, Mike Olkin, and uh, said, why don't you just chase him around? So, it, it, you know, to an extent, it was good. I, I, I just went out there, and every time he had the puck, I would, you know, whether it was a cross-check in the arm, a slash. And he was a big guy. He wasn't easy to catch. No. He was skilled. But I just chased him around pretty much. So the reporters loved it because nobody – so it got me noticed. So, you know, I chased the action. Nobody stood up to me. Uh, and then, you know, I had a really good camp. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't have – Back then, they didn't have – Ottawa was a talented team. I always say the team I played for from 2004, then the 0405 lockout came where the rules changed. and But prior to that, they weren't a physical team, and they had trouble. We could never get by Toronto, had the Domies and the Roberts and the Belaks and tough. So I, I brought that element. So fast forward to that year. Uh, we're playing a game against the Florida Panthers, and Todd Simpson and Peter Worrell – Jump Alexi Yashin in the corner. Uh, they're two big, monstrous men, tough. And I came flying in to defend Yashin, ended up kind of getting in a fight with both of them. The next day in the paper, it had Sheriff Shane Knighty to the rescue. And as you know, I come from an element where I like to chirp in the team. So that caught on right away. The guys, oh, the sheriff, the sheriff. So it caught on. And then it was something that just stuck with me my whole career. I kind of lost it for a couple years. I believe when I was in, maybe it was Atlanta. Maybe not. But anyways, it got really brought back when I went to Boston. Jack uh, Edwards caught on it. He heard somebody in Ottawa reference it. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got the nickname the sheriff was uh, from someone I chased around in camp to defending him. Ash, the Ashen played 850 games in the National Hockey League, 337 goals and 781 points. So almost a point-of-game player over uh, over a 12-year career, but best known for marrying supermodel Carol Alt. Yes, I remember we used to get in a uh, fly in our flights and uh, as a to young guy. Uh, no, not to, oh, no. when we fly back from Ottawa because oh, yeah. we always had you always had your charter terminal. And uh, she'd be sitting out there on the Mercedes waiting for him, whether it was 2 o'clock or whatever. And she's always dressed up, looking good. And Good for you. Yep, yep good for him. And you know what? I run into him now. He, he's big into hockey, I believe, in Russia, mm-hmm. helping women's hockey and other things. And a uh, very pleasant guy to speak with. 
Biggest influence in your career and why? I'd say family, just, just because of what they went through, right? My parents supporting me, my brother, uh, my wife and kids, uh, absolutely. Um, if I think of that, I, I think so many coaches had an impact on me. Pierre Maguire had a big impact. Like, uh, you know, I know a lot of people have opinions. Pierre's been great to me and, and someone that uh, he would probably be the biggest because at that it was at the crossroads for me where I was contemplating giving up the dream of pro hockey and, and going to play, uh, you know, university hockey in Canada. And I, if I had I done that, yeah, guys have come out and maybe it would have. But uh, for me, uh, the right move was to continue the pro uh, pro dream, and I had to start, you know, in the East Coast Hockey League and work my way up. But he gave me the confidence that I needed at that time. You, you know, I know your wife, Michaela. Uh, you guys were married uh, young, yes. you know, in your early 20s. And it's funny, you know, uh, I don't know if some people realize sort of the role that the, the spouse plays in professional sport, and and not just wives, husbands too. When you're talking about uh, about women's sport, there's, you know, you've moved how many times, right? <laughs> Lots. You know, well, and, we mentioned a few of the teams. And who makes? And so you get the phone call. You've yeah. been traded. I go. You might not even go home. No. You might be at the rink and go straight to the airport, and you phone, and then you know the the partner has to get the kids. Packed up, has to get the house packed up, has to get people into new schools, and it's a real partnership, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. They, the what the the commitment. <laughs> it's not easy. I know uh, a lot of people think it's you know glamorous and this, and you know I don't think she would complain. We've 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 lived a good life and we're happy and we do what we do. But uh, there there's been some trying times without question. That that's part of it. You know the moves, and especially when you have kids in school, and uh, you know how it is. You we talked a lot when you you moved here you had to find schools, to find areas. It's it's a crafty kind of learn, and I think it gets easier when when you do it as yeah. many times as you we have. You guys are pros. Yeah, we we've done it enough that uh, it's it's an easy transition. Well, moving here, I think we did it in three weeks. No <laughs> so kidding. Turning yeah. everything, and uh, you know, having uh, having children to to put in school. So uh, you know, that's part of it. So, but uh, yeah, I can't. What they did, and parents, the support they had when I was young, and my brother had a big impact. So, you know, family for me is is a big part of it. You can't you can't get anywhere without the support of them. Most fun you ever had in hockey? See, most obviously, the easy answer for me is winning. You know, Stanley Cup. Win. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. For me, it's it's the guys. And when you leave the game, you'll hear it from a lot of players. Do you miss the game? Well, yeah, I miss parts of it, but there's a lot of the grind I don't. I miss the guys, mm-hmm. that everyday interaction, the jokes, the the horsing around, the going out, the you know, they're they're your family, they're your brothers. That that's that's how important it is to be a part. And I was fortunate to play in some great teams, you know, in Ottawa, I had a great group of guys and friends in Atlanta where I went, you know, next well, after Nashville, Atlanta. Nashville is great, but it was such a short stint. Atlanta, we had a great group of people that, you know, we, we became family. And Scott Mellenby was the, the captain and his wife. And they, they brought everyone together so well. I miss that. I miss, uh, you know, the connections, the interactions with guys that are, you know, in, in similar, the same life as you, the, the similar dreams to accomplish one goal, which is the Stanley Cup. And obviously the Stanley Cup run was was, was special, but there there's so many other special moments. Uh, you know, every year I played the NHL, to me, was, was the greatest. Your worst year, your worst experience in hockey, 
the worst, worst experience. Stretch. Worst stretch would have been St. John, the final oh, yeah. stretch. My first. I, was, I thought you were going to say Anaheim. No, first year pro. Uh, Anaheim was tough, but I was playing in the NHL. Yeah. I was making good. And, and, and I'm making good money. <laughs> it's you know you know I'm playing in. I I don't even know what I was making. I would say is thirty grand Canadian playing yeah. American Hockey League back yeah. then. Uh, and you know, just the coach had had brought me to a level where I, I was just willing to go home. So you know, there's been some tough times. There's been I, healthy scratch stretch in Ottawa, which was might have been my toughest time, which led to me. Uh, I can't remember how long. Just just. You know, it's tough. It, it's a mental thing, but it's stuff that makes you stronger in the end. And I I'm, like this story. Tell, yes, tell the story of uh, you're, you're a healthy scratch. You think you're still, oh, you absolutely. can still contribute. You asked for a trade. I did ask for a trade, and uh, John Muckler, <laughs> who you'd know, is <laughs> Talking an about old, school. Old, old school GM. <laughs> so it's my fourth year in Ottawa, and, uh, you know, I had some great runs playing. And, and you know, it's it's frustrating when the guys are talking and said, why aren't you playing? I don't know. And... And, and it was tough. That's a decision that's made at that time, and you're a healthy scratch out of the lineup. And, uh, you know, there's ways to handle it. And it, probably that time, I look back now and a little embarrassed on how I handled it, but uh, I was disgruntled. And I we asked for a trade, and John Muckler, uh, so it was a trade deadline day, and I remember we were in Washington. Uh, we were busing to the airport, and everybody's getting closer. Everybody's wondering what's going on. And I got a call, actually, from a guy you know, same as you, Bruce Garriott, who covered the Ottawa Sun. And he says, oh, you've been traded. I said, oh, really? And it was like 3 o'clock, which was the deadline. And uh, no sooner as we're on the bus, we get to the, to the airport, and everybody files off, and my phone rings. I'm waiting, and it's John Muckler. And, you know, it's, it's nothing gracious, like wishing you well or anything. It was just, uh, <laughs> I go, hello? He goes, Shane, John Muckler. I said, yeah. He said, well, you got your wish. I said, oh, okay. I said, I, I didn't know it was a wish. Well, whatever. Uh, going to Nashville, uh, blah, blah, blah. Here's your, your plane ticket, this and that. All right, bye. <laughs> so, okay, that that was it. I'll tell you what. And, 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 go finish. And, and it was not easy. You talk about, yeah, so right there, he said to get traded. I did no time to go home. I, uh, you know, guys came off the plane, said goodbye, a little emotional. I got back on the bus. They took me uh, from where the terminal, uh, where they were getting on the charter, back to the regular. Flew out, I believe, to New York to join Nashville. And, uh, yeah, that's how it happened. Scott Arneal was playing, was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets along with Dale Howard Chuck, that famous famous Cornwall Royals team. And uh, he played there for a while. And then John Ferguson, the late John Ferguson, traded him to Buffalo. And they didn't talk. And, and the Winnipeg is a small town, seven hundred thousand yeah. people, and the hockey community there. Uh, back in back in those days, you got drafted by an NHL team. You went home to your hometown for a little bit, but you bought a house yes. in that town, and you lived in that town. And that in in Winnipeg, those that those Jets one those guys were all part of the community, and they all knew one another. They you know played at the same golf course. They all bought cottages in the same area, and they hung out. and And John Ferguson was. The Godfather. Yeah. And they didn't talk for the longest time. And on the night, they they, they, they closed the Winnipeg Arena, the old building, and they opened up the, uh, the I don't know what it's called now, the MTS Bell All-Stream Center, where the Jets play now. They opened that up. And that, that was uh, 2004, I believe. They had a big party at the Winnipeg Arena, and they brought back Timu Solani, uh, Anders Hedberg, Ulf Nielsen. Like, they brought the WHA guys, the NHL guys, and John Ferguson was still alive, and Scott Arneal 
uh, was, I don't know where Scotty was coaching then. He might have been coaching the, the Moose. No, he wasn't. It was Randy Carlisle. Uh, but anyways, um, Scotty was an assistant somewhere, probably in Buffalo in the NHL, I think, under uh, um, Lindy Ruff. I was standing there watching, and I knew that Scott, that Scott and John, that Fergie, were on the outs. And I watched Randy Carlisle. He walked up, and he had a chat with Fergie. And then I watched him, and he went and he found Scotty. Scotty was sitting at a table with his family, and he grabbed him, and he walked him over to him, and he said something, and then Randy left. And John and Scott stood there and talked, and the voices got raised at one point in time, and then there was a big hug, and they made up. Yeah. But it was... It was like 10 years, 12 years. Yeah. They went without speaking. So when people say it's just business, it's personal too sometimes. Oh, it, it can be. For sure it can be. Ottawa's first team, it was tough. I didn't want to leave, but, uh, you know, that was the way it was handled back then, and you, you moved on. There wasn't uh, there wasn't any coddling or, you know, communication such a big part now with coaches, GMs, and players, and it, it's a different athlete coming in. Back then, I learned at a young age that uh, – Nobody was going to be patting me on the back. It was going to be a lot more kicks in the ass than uh, than anything. You're listening to the SLGND podcast brought to you by Foley Food and Wine. Bill and Carol Foley created the Foley Food and Wine Society to celebrate three of our greatest passions, world-class wines, exceptional cuisine, and outstanding destinations. As a member of the society, you will have access to our entire portfolio of properties around the globe. The Foley Food and Wine Society offers an exclusive opportunity to join like-minded individuals who seek to experience the finer things in life. They look forward to hosting you during your next visit. Cheers. Dave Gosher's got nothing on me. That was a a beautiful live read. I'm actually heading up... uh, um, part of the Foley Food and Wine Society. Uh, I'm going to Sonoma this weekend uh, with uh, some folks to yeah, uh, nice. tour some of the Foley uh, wineries. That's going to be, uh, I'm actually quite excited about that. Both Shane and I like uh, like a glass of red wine once in, a, once in a while. Always responsibly, of course. Um, where are we here? All right. Well, we're going to sh- switch from hockey to, uh, to broadcasting, Absolutely. which is still hockey. Yeah. Uh, so... I was working at a radio station, and they uh, the radio station had just gotten the rights to the Winnipeg Jets, and you had just retired. You no, had, I had not yet. Well, Let's not officially, going. but uh, you had told me that you were going to retire. I was possibly. <laughs> and, well, we I, I bumped into you. You had had shoulder surgery, and I was doing a radio show. This was before you won the Stanley yeah. Cup, and you said, yeah, I'm going to try and get back in, but at some point in time, I'm going to have to transition, you know, Yep. I, I I wouldn't mind trying broadcasting. So then you you did you hooked up with the Bruins. You won the Stanley Cup, but then it was uh, you knew the end was near. Then at the end there, did you not? Well, I did, and it was it was <laughs> interesting. You talk about Pete Chiarelli, who has been good to me, and and I know why he brought me on that year. It was it was on an elevated role, and you go back to being a healthy scratch back then. I whatever I understood the role. And, you know, I look at guys here, a guy like Brad Hunt, who does it so well, the, the ability to be upbeat. It's, it's an important role to be keep yourself ready, to be positive. And, and that's what I was going in. And my shoulder, I wasn't supposed to play. Joined the Bruins. Pete Shirley brought me in. but And it wasn't a surprise. We had our year-end meeting. He said, uh, you know, we're not bringing him back. I said, yep, no surprise. Uh, he thanked me. We had a great chat. And I was still thinking of playing. So, But broadcasting was something on the back of my mind. And uh, So... Mark Mayhew was the gentleman's name. He was in Ottawa 
building a radio station yeah. when you were with the Senators. And uh, he said to me one day, he said, you know, we're going to need uh, a color commentary guy for the radio broadcast. And I said, you know, Shane Knight, he's kicking around. And he said, the sheriff? I said, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I think he phoned you that afternoon and you guys got together. And No. Uh, and let's get the story right well, here. Uh, so. So the story is, and I'm going to jump in on Gary here. I know his facts, and he should remember. So it was the summer. I believe it was August 18th. I should know it because that was the day I had the cup. So I'm in a limo driving from Winnipeg to my Nipahs, a town of about 4,000 people two hours away. Uh, I was taking it to my hometown. I had my, my parents, my family, brother and his family, and we're all in the limo, and my phone rings, and it's uh, Gary Lawless who said, you're going to get a call from Mark Mayhew. And I said, well, Gary, I'm a little busy right now. Um, and I, I should have said, and oh, I didn't know I was retiring. But anyways, thank you. He gave me the call. He set it up with Mark Mayhew, and I eventually went in for uh, my meeting with uh, TSN 1290, which was covering the Winnipeg Jets games after they relocated from Atlanta. And yeah, I had the meetings and, and then they went really well. They offered me the job and that's when, uh, you know, I made the call to officially retire. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, I was there and got to listen to you and, you know, so I'm a, I'm a writer. That's, I made my living uh, for a long time working in the newspaper business. And then at a certain point in time, someone said, you know, you sh- we should get you on the radio, and then uh, this still baffled me. Baffles me to this day. Someone else said we should put you on TV. I am not. I have a face for radio, oh, as no. they say. Uh, but uh, this this kind of drives me nuts to this point because the first time I heard you on radio, I was uh, I was completely jealous because you were immediately you you were a complete natural. The first time I heard you uh there was uh, well I still remember it. It was the first play of uh of the Winnipeg Jets ever. And you and Dennis Dennis Bayak had the call and you said uh in this game there was a big hit on the play and you said in this game you either take a hit or you give a hit. And it uh, uh and I heard him say that and I was just like eh. He's going to be fine. He's going to be really good. And it didn't take you very long. You were on radio for a little bit, and then they pushed you on the TV, and then you quickly became, uh, you were the the number one guy on the Jets broadcast. But they also, this was, which was really impressive, they elevated you. Uh, they have a small team of international hockey. And TSN in Canada is the standard in hockey, and it is, it's, it's, what you do, um, it's like Monday Night Football. It's, uh, you know, or, or the, the, the game of the week. It is what you do. You, you watch TSN to watch hockey, and the international group is the creme de la creme. Uh, you know, and it's Ray Ferraro does uh, one set of games at the World Junior Championships and at the World Championships, and then the other team was... Shay Knighty, and uh, and that happened pretty fast, and it's a uh, uh, that to me that you know you we watched you struggle to get into the NHL, and you <laughs> paid your dues. Well, you very quickly you were this you were like a bonus baby or a first round draft pick when it came to broadcasting because you went from getting your first shift to being 
on on the, the the first line on the best team in the country. Yeah, I, I always joke about it. It's uh, it's funny. I've had two careers. Unfortunately for me, the sad part is my second career has gone a lot better. Uh, no, that's I say that jokingly. And then the other joke was in Winnipeg. You know, Manitoba is my home province. Nobody knew who the hell I was until I got out of hockey and got on TV. Uh, that, that's just the way it works. That's not true. That is true. Well, uh, well true, in, in a entirely. sense, I became yeah. more popular on TV than I did playing the game in the, in the NHL. But you know what? It is one of those things that, that you compliment and you wonder what you can do. And I always say, when, when you know something, that's what you should do. And I, uh, hockey, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't do, you know, post-secondary school. I didn't go to, you know, college, university. Hockey was my life. I, I always, you know, say I, I was fortunate enough to go to the, the Harvard of hockey. You know, yeah. thinking my coaches, my career, I mentioned Pierre, but, you know, the NHL, I had Jacques Martin, Jack Adams winner. I had the legendary late Roger Nielsen as an assistant coach. You know, I went from there to Barry Trotz in Nashville. Uh, you know, Claude Julian. I had Randy Carlisle, who's been a, you know, Claude Julian, Jack Adams winner. Barry Trotz, Jack Adams winner. So I kind of had the Harvard of hockey to learn it. So what the better late, than the to late, talk the about late Brad McCrimmon in the late Brad too, right? McCrimmon, yeah. yes. Let's throw him. Bob Hartley was the head coach. He's one of Jack Adams. Brad McCrimmon was, uh, you know, Kelly's brother who, you know, uh, unfortunately, that accident with a locomotive, but uh, Brad was a huge influence. Probably the might have had one of the biggest impacts on me on elevating. I had my best years playing defense when he was our defensive coach. So, uh, you know, fortunate. And then get into it, and it was natural. And you mentioned a name that probably I call and you still call for advice Dennis Bayak, oh, yeah, who was the mentor, who's the play by play, who's been in hockey his whole life. Uh, he was, uh, you know, general manager in the Western Hockey League. He's done TV, radio. He's he's run Memorial Cups. He's done everything, and uh, he was a true mentor to me, and and probably the the biggest influence on this career. But yeah, it was it was something. Uh, and I loved radio, but I'll never forget. I got called into action to do, a, I believe, my second year to do TV. I had no idea. It was the morning of. And they just said, the, the guy couldn't make it. I forget. It was either Brian Engblom or Mike Johnson. They said, we're going to throw you between the benches. going to do TV. And I remember coming home that night and saying, I said to my wife, now I know what I wanted. I wanted to do TV. I love radio, and I still do. Call, I'll call games. Love calling games. But the TV aspect, the ability to pick clips, to show it, to to show the game, to not show just why the goal was scored, but what happened before, uh, That that's what I truly love. And, you know, you got to love what you do, and I certainly uh, – and, and a little more stability in this. I'm not getting traded. You notice I haven't moved around as much. No, no. I could have still been in Winnipeg, yeah. but, of course, uh, the jump to come here was, uh, was a great – Great move. Well, it's funny, you know, uh, we both, the same guy gave us our opportunity, Paul Graham. He put me on TV uh, uh, on a regular basis for the first time, and he's the guy that uh, that puts you on TV as well. And uh, uh, I want to switch to the Golden Knights because uh, we both were in... Uh, I thought I was done. I thought my career was in a place where uh, we both had a good career going. Yeah, to Winnipeg, yeah no we, you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, you know, and I was tired of the winners. That was one thing, but uh, but I was also used to them. And uh, you know, the phone rang, and it was George McPhee on the other end for me. And then uh, uh, and then I was part of the of the search committee. And uh, I'll never forget this. Eric Tosi and I, uh, we our job was sort of to. Uh, to whittle down we, the, the the list of applicants was for the for the TV job in Vegas and the radio job in Vegas, it was very large. And uh, Eric Tosi and I, the, Kerry Bubolt handed us a binder 
with all of these names and resumes. And Eric said, uh, we've, we copied it. He said, you take it home. I'll take it home. We'll meet tomorrow morning. Read, read it and come back and give me your, and Eric said to me, give me your top two. And uh, we were going to do TV first and radio later. And I went home and I looked and I listened and we had clips and I listened to a bunch of guys and I, and, uh, and, and I just, you know, I came in the next day and I said, Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty, those are my two guys. And he said, he started laughing. I go, what are you laughing? He goes, because me too. And he's from, he worked with you guys in the Bruins. He goes, yeah. and he said, we can't hire two Bruins. Yeah and, I, and, yeah. and I said, yeah, we can if they're the best guys. And then we went through the process of, of, and of, of digging deeper and, and on and on. We just kept coming back to you two guys yeah. and, uh, uh, and the people that, that watched the games last year, uh, they got to see it. You guys are fantastic. And, and you know, we have fun. You have fun. You, got you had fun with Dennis, and now yeah. you're having fun with, yeah. with Dave. Yeah, and it was good. And I think Dave and I, you know, the, the, always the fear is the chemistry. And I'll never forget doing that first preseason game in Vancouver. We did it, and afterwards, look, it was like it was seamless. And that's the big thing. Timing is so big in TV. Like, nobody's cueing me when to talk. It's you, you've got to feed off your your play by play guy. You got to know when to jump in. You got to you got to read the game. And you know, obviously, there's going to be little jumps on top of each other. But it was it was very seamless. And, and from there, we knew we had something special. And uh, boy, did it lead to. And let let's let's be honest here. We had a pretty good story the, the, to the, tell. The, the, the team really dictates how good a call can be. No it's good to have good good guys calling a game. But when it's a team oh, like yeah. and what the Golden Knights accomplished, boy, they sure made it easy for us. Well, let's talk about that for a second. What, 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 what did you like best about the Vegas Golden Knights as a team, the season, the organization? When, you look, when, you, when you're going to look back at last year, what's going to stick out to you? Oh, I, I always like to go inside the room. I don't, but, you know, I, I can read off of it. Yeah. So for me, it's the culture and identity they they established early. It takes organizations sometimes years through transition to, to set the identity and to build a culture within that room. Uh, and maybe because of the situation, they were able to identify that early enough. Uh, when everybody's in the same situation, there wasn't there wasn't already guys preset clicks or new guys coming in or guys that you know were already identified as the big money guys. Everybody came in; it's kind of a misfit. Yeah, that's their words. I don't think it's appropriate. They're they're all still NHL guys, but they were able to do that, and they were able to gel together in a situation where everyone was doubting them. So that gives you motivation. So I really. You know, I can't say enough about that group of guys, and they, they will be connected forever because of what they accomplished. But it all started for me, them coming together. They were relentless all year. They never, they were unfazed. They never got rattled. Uh, they just pushed on. Regardless of the outside, they kept everything to the outside. All that mattered to them and what should matter to a team is that group of guys in that room, uh, you know, and a credit to George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon for bringing the guys in and then Gerard Gallant, his coaching staff, for for getting the best, that that's a coach's job. His ability to get the best out of his players, and and they did that. He won the coach of the year, and uh, it, which he should have won it. Gerard Gallant. That is the coaching job of the decade. What he what he was able to to like. The more you think about yeah. it, 
And let's throw the staff in there too, as well. Absolutely, as a group. because uh, you know, uh, and Mike, Gerard, Turk would agree. Well, for sure, because well, the way the job, the way Gerard Gallant does the job, everybody is involved. And even Ryan Craig, who was a rookie coach in the National yeah. Hockey League, was given big, you know, a little bit of responsibility, and then more, and then more, and then more, and uh, like a critical piece of the staff. It just. The more I think about what they were able to accomplish and what it's they historic. what they did, it was just it was brilliant. It's, it's a Absolutely. historic season, and every piece and part of it was remarkable. And I think you know we just talked about taking. The, I can't think if I would have turned it down. I would have been Dave and I talked about that Gosh all year. Like, could you imagine if we did not like to be part of that ride, be part of what was accomplished? He asked me. Uh, and I can say that it's probably the most remarkable season I've been a part of, you know, playing and not, you know, in 18 years, I'd never seen anything like it. And, uh, wow, that the city, the fans throw it all together. It was just fantastic. You've been around the NHL since the year 2000. How has the life changed? Dramatically. Yeah. The players of trade, you know, the the athlete, it's, it's a better athlete. The, you know, the game's so fast, physical. Uh, they're bigger, faster, stronger. Or, or, but at the same time, we're seeing smaller guys, more skilled, more speed. Uh, it's a combination of everything. The game has changed. Uh, you know, we've seen it. The, you know, fighting's pretty much going to be out of the game. Uh, I don't think it'll ever really be out. There's always going to be the odd ones, but it's, it's down to a level now where I think everybody's satisfied. Uh, they're trying to get the, the ugly hits out of the game. That's still going to be a process. Uh, it's at a higher level, but the athletes, uh, you know, now they're trained from a young age. I took summers off. You don't see that much now. And now you've got, you've got agents, you've got advisors, you've got nutritionists, you've got uh, personal trainers, you've got everybody in your ear. And these guys at a young age are hearing, uh, you know, there, there's a little more entitlement coming from players in and, uh, that's why I think coaching, coaching has changed probably as much as anything. A coach needs to have that ability to relate to individual players rather than to just the team. Uh, the communication levels have to be open. You have to understand each guy, what makes them tick. Uh, some guys need more pats. Some guys need more kicks. Uh, it's not, you know, everybody was lumped together. This is the way it is. You either deal with it or you're gone. Now it's they've got to deal with each player and, and, and handle them in certain ways. So that's changed, and, and, and I think that's just that's not just in hockey. <laughs> No, I've got young kids. Yeah, uh, you know, not young anymore. Some getting older. That's just uh, that's just the way of the world. What are the, the millennials and the Gen X? And uh, it's just a, it's a different group growing up uh, from the way we did. My daughter asked me the other day, "What's it like to get spanked?" And oh, I just and I had a thought to myself, you know what I mean? Well, you know what? You know how I found out? <laughs> uh, yeah. I found out the school hard knocks, right? You yes. know what I mean? But it's not. Oh, good. It's, You're talking about parents. Good. Yes, I, was, I yeah. thought we were going somewhere different, oh, Gary. Oh, stop it. My goodness. <laughs> you mentioned fighting. You weren't afraid to fight. Biggest win, biggest loss. Biggest win, biggest loss. Well, loss. Uh, well, Mel Engelstad was a big loss. Uh, you know what? I never really lost bad. Like, I never got knocked out cold, thank goodness. Uh, biggest win? I mean, probably a lot in the IHL. In the NHL, uh, there's, you know, did you really win? Yeah, Rene Corbet, uh, you know, there's some guys. You know, f for me, I don't think I ever had a big win against a big guy. But for me, like, being able to, to go with Ty Domi or, you know, someone like that, Jody Shelley, uh, you know, my first was Ken Belanger. Like, these were big, heavyweight, tough guys that were they're out of my limits. But, yeah. you know, I was able to 
to go in and handle myself. It was always about protecting your teammates, standing up for someone. Those are what I'm more proud of than anything. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. Well. We're going to do questions? We are going to do questions. You're listening to the SLGND podcast. And normally this is the guest of the day, but the whole thing is about Shane Knighty, and he's the guest of the day. So we're going to do some questions from Twitter, and it's brought to you by the Rock Creek Cattle Company. Rock Creek Cattle Company is a hidden gem located in the heart of Montana. This working-class cattle ranch sits on 28,000 acres of land and has a little something for everyone, including world-class golf course, fly fishing, hunting, horseback riding, and more. Escape the bright lights and discover Big Sky Montana. Exclusive memberships and real estate opportunities are available now. For more information, visit www.rockcreekcattlecompany.com. All right. Let's dig up the. You, have you got the questions there? Shane? I've got. I've got a few All here. Right, yeah. You start. Well, there was. Uh, what's the guy called? Uh, do you go at Stock Slots seven seven seven? He had a couple questions. He right. asked him about Shea Theodore. Uh, I think we both can agree. Uh, they're asked if he's trying to force a qualifying offer. I think. Shea Theodore's in a situation is going to be one of two things. It's got to be a long-term the player wants, uh, you know, around a five-year, they do a bridge deal. It's pretty standard. It's going to get done. I wouldn't worry about that at all. Uh, a lot of questions were about William Carlson, too, about, uh, uh, you know, rejection of a long-term deal, one to two. I think this is a deal that works for both players. Absolutely. I think it's a gamble on both sides. William Carlson's gambling on himself, and the Golden Knights are gambling. Say, well, you're either going to be one or two things. You're going to be a 25-goal scorer, or you're going to be a 40-goal scorer. So, uh, you know, it's business. There's business to deals, and players understand that. I don't think, really, there's hurt feelings. They Players, more than anything now, understand. Business grows every year. It becomes a bigger factor in the NHL. Players understand that. There's no hard feelings. They, it's just part of the process to get things done. At Brad Evanson, 16. Oh, I know Brad. Evanson. Yes. You should ask Shane Eve- about the time when he brought the Stanley Cup escorted with at Howie Borrow home oh. to Neeps. Neepawa, I'm guessing. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask at Booker Star, at Pierce27, and at Ken W. Pearson for fact checks. Well, you know either. Kenny. I know Kenny, of course, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you had a fun day that well, day. Well, we did. Those are those are my buddies I yeah. grew up with, so it was great. When we had the cup, the, the one cool thing I did after, and they did it, and Brad helped set it up, is uh, we did it. So we held a, so, a social. You'd know what a social. People won't know what a social, but it's a gathering. We did charity. You bought tickets. I donated it back to the rink. They came. We had a big party with the cup. But we held it in the, the arena in my hometown. And then we snuck away with the cup with, with Brad and Corey and uh, the other Brad, Bolk and Kenny and uh, a few of my buddies that I grew up with. And we put our jerseys on from when we won the provincial championship oh, cool. when we were 12. Oh, I think they goodness. put a picture. Uh, Howie, who was the keeper of the cup, put a picture up uh, on that year. And we they, they did a room up so you know when you win the cup the rooms are champing so we did one up in the old dressing room we had so we were pouring you know the thing drinking out of the cup (laughs) pouring it on each other Uh, it was a great in these shirts and uh you know kenny's uh kenny and a couple of the other guys have grown a bit since so some of those jerseys were quite (laughs) hot snug yeah a little snug so even without the pads on yeah it was was, but uh, you know that's all part of the the experience guys that uh, followed my career all the way along Awesome. Well, you know, you are uh, uh, of Ukrainian uh, lineage. Yes. So you know a pierogi. Oh, my mom makes them. Yes. yes. My uh-huh. grandma so did. Now, there, there, this is this is kind of the great uh, 
debate. You know, it's like, is a hot dog uh, a sandwich? Oh, jeez. Uh, yes, uh, I uh, saw that. Is a pierogi, so boiled or fried? I don't, I like both. That's you the do, thing. Right? But but if I was to make it right now, I'm frying it up with yeah. onions. I'm doing fried. I like golden brown. I like with onions. But then sometimes I want, you know, boiled. It's, uh, it's good to boil and then fry. Boil and then fry is what I like. Yes. Excellent. Uh-huh. But I, you can't go, just give me pro. You can't. That just took over the questions. That one was. Uh... The hot dog one was thrown <laughs> out. Is it a sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is the, That was actually why I didn't respond. As a, it's definitely a sandwich. It, it's, it's bread, bread and, and meat. meat. Yeah, it's, it's bread and meat. So <laughs> I guess that you can call it a sandwich. What was your, this is from at Eileen Benz. What was your favorite VGK moment last season? Boy, there's so many. There's so many moments. Uh, you know what? Uh, and it was a difficult one, but it, difficult and everything. But uh, that home opener, and and I think just uh, you know bringing the Golden Knights in a difficult situation, introducing the team, but the the way we remembered uh, what happened on, on one October, and then you know it, it was such an an emotionally charged from you know. You know, grief, sadness to to elation when the team started, and and it was it was a it was for the first time and a time for people to smile. We went, you know, you went through the ceremony, and then then this team just came out with felt like they took the this city and said, "All right, let's let's give a little bit, any bit of joy we can." And the way they came out, I. I I'll never forget that home opener uh, for the rest of my life. And, you know, obviously there's so many great moments this year with this team winning the Western Conference, uh, the games they won in playoffs. Uh, but for me, that home opener is something I will never, ever forget. Yeah, you know, I'd have to agree with you. And it was, you know, there were two moments last year that uh, were, uh, you know, that were really difficult. And obviously the, you know, October one and then, uh, and then the home opener, but then we were in we were in Canada. Um, we were out for dinner the night of the uh, the bus cra- the bus crash in uh, yeah in, that one in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and uh, and I know that one uh, uh, really strikes home for you because you played for you played well, junior hockey for two teams five in years, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Five years, you rode those buses, and uh, we so we were we were out for dinner, and I got a text. From uh, someone uh, that you know was kind of had some news ahead of time, and he said, "Have you heard about Humboldt?" And uh, I said, "No." And uh, you know, he said, "Terrible bus crash, uh, multiple fatalities." And uh, and I, I remember I, I looked across at the table to you, and I mentioned it, yeah. and uh, you did a real nice uh, thing the next night on TV. You gave a little tribute to the guys. Um, I'm sure that 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 will stick with you too. That did that that uh, that one. Uh, yeah, it hit home, and it, I remember I remember we were at dinner and whatever. I was thinking, and then as it went back, and he started reading more reports, and yeah. then I just couldn't stop and uh, didn't sleep, and it bothered me that whole next day. And then, you know, sometimes you can never say enough on that. And I remember you know, there's a lot of thinking on how how to talk about it, but to keep you got you know there's a time limit to keep it short, but uh, just a, a awful tragedy that hit home and uh, you know the response from the hockey world was fantastic. You can never ever really heal from that, but uh, the process you know that they've done and uh, 
Yeah, I still think of it, you know, a lot of days just because of the, the amount of times I spent on the bus and all those guys and their dreams and what they were experiencing at that moment. And it, it was a very, very difficult time. I can't imagine what uh, what that was like for someone like your mother. You know, oh, it's just, just must have been anybody. Uh, yeah, my parents and they they have a they have a junior A team in in Manitoba. So yeah. you know uh, the equivalent of what that team was in Skatch when there's one in Manitoba. And you know I think anybody in Canada, you, you know, in those towns, those cities that uh, really related to that. Well, this was fantastic. This uh, was good. Uh, yeah, blast. And uh, there's so many lot. more stories. We might have to do uh, an yeah, episode uh, two. We'll let that. We'll absolutely. let the fans. Uh, we can we can go on and on. And yeah. Well, it's uh, I've. Uh, uh, I'm 50, and uh, I'm younger. Uh, a little bit younger, yeah, yeah. And uh, no, we've known each other for, uh, um, you know, not quite 30 years, but uh, 21. 21? Yeah, okay, all right, 21 years. So that puts so, me at 42. Uh, yes, yes, I yeah. got it, Shane. <laughs> a long time, and uh, it's been uh, it's been a fun ride so far, and uh, I look forward to uh, to what comes next. This was the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave podcast the next time we do this podcast dan duva will be back in his familiar seat and dave gosher will be uh, will be doing the job that i did today kind of running the show and uh, and asking the questions and uh, it won't be as good as this one i can tell you that right now just kidding thanks very much for listening